For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in a newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert. As the reading science movement continues to grow, even during this unprecedented time, it's so important to stay focused on what it takes to develop confident and capable readers. As we've learned, change can happen fast. That makes it even more important to stay connected and learn from each other. The more we learn and listen, the more prepared we'll be to lead. Together, let's voice challenges and take action. Our topic today is instructional loss in reading for our youngest of learners. I talk with Danielle D'Amico, Director of Learning Science here at Amplify, about this loss of reading instruction, what we see in our data, and what we can do to support students in this unprecedented moment. Here at Amplify, we talk about this as loss of instruction, not a learning loss. After all, you can't learn if you have not had the opportunity. I trust you find this conversation encouraging. We can make a difference. And P.S., shout out to practitioners across the country for making the pivot and putting kids' learning front and center. Hi, Danielle. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Susan. I am an avid listener to the podcast, and I'm just really honored to be a part, so thank you. Uh, that's great. I'm so excited about that. So if you're an avid listener, you know that we always start with this question of how in the world did you get interested in early literacy? Okay, I will try to do the short story. It's not all that interesting. But oh, I bet it is. <laughs> I'll keep it short. Um, my interest really started in college, I would say. Um, I had a really great opportunity to work as a tutor and a classroom assistant in the Chicago public schools um, and learned a lot there. And then after college, I worked as a teacher aide in Head Start. Um, Oh. Yeah, it was really fun, um, but exposed me to just the the variability in in students' skills and learning and behavior and and emotional needs. Um, So that really led me to pursue graduate school at um, the University of Oregon in school psych and special ed. That's really interesting. Do you know how many people say that it was actually the tutor or the classroom experience that pulled them into this world? So that's great. Yeah, yeah. I I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, (laughs) but spent some time in schools and and had the calling, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, so from there, I, I worked um, on reading assessment and intervention in grad school, 
and a lot on RTI and MTSS. Um, and once I graduated, I had sort of a whirlwind tour of the various jobs one can have um, after they experience grad school. Um, so I did work as a school psych in California. Um, I worked in Nebraska um, doing research on RTI and MTSS and also statewide training on MTSS and RTI. Then I worked um, as a professor in New Jersey at Montclair State um, where I was teaching classes and also running our campus assessment center. So assessing and providing interventions to students. And then all of that led me to Amplify um, where I am today. That's great. And we are so honored to have you at Amplify. I know we have great conversations um, on a weekly basis and I've learned so much from, from you. Um, this, but this experience and exposure that you've had to both the range of student achievement and actually how to make changes and uh, implement uh, tiers of instruction and quality instruction, I bet prepared you really well for what you're doing at Amplify right now. Absolutely. And Susan, the feeling is mutual. I love I love working with you. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of was feeling that teachers and students needed the right tools um, to really, uh, you know, help accelerate student learning and growth, especially in early literacy. So that's that's what was so attractive um, about Amplify. Yeah, we could probably go down on that trail for 30 and more minutes just to talk about the concept of getting the right things in the hands of teachers and being supported for them. Um, but I want to make a little bit of a turn because I think what we really want to pick your brain about a little bit is the situation we're in right now. Like, what are your thoughts on what's happening in terms of the loss of instructional time because of the COVID impact and how that relates to early literacy development. And I suppose we have to talk about like the end of last year and also into this year and maybe even beyond. Yeah, I think that's right, Susan. Um, there's, you know, we can, last year was just, just such a shock and a surprise to all of us, um, you know, not just in schools, but just in general. We, we were all you know, scrambling um, in our day-to-day -day lives, but in education especially. Remember when we thought it was, oh, schools were gonna close for two weeks and then we'll be back and we'll, we'll move forward from there. So I think last year, you know, it's really important to understand the impacts of last year, but we know, you know what happened last year is a little bit different than what happened this year. And that's not to minimize the challenges of this year at all. Um, but at least we had a little bit more time to plan. And when I say we, I truly mean we um, educators working in schools, but also us on the Amplify side, we had more time to think right. about the services and products that we provide and how they could best support teachers and students in remote and hybrid settings. Um, and we had more opportunities to, to look at our data to heart, you know, really start thinking about what should happen next for instruction. So I think when we talk about this, we can talk about, you know, what we learned, you know, from last year, what we know so far this year and still need to know. But then I think really the most important part is how do we move forward from here and what can we do to really um, support our teachers and our students? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point in terms of, you know, um, I think, you know, it takes a village. So how in the world could we respond? And what gives Amplify, 
I would say sort of credibility to respond in this. So before we dive in a little bit to the what do we know right now, can you talk about the data um, and like, like when we say we're looking at our data or doing research into our data, what's that set look like? What's, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know how to exactly ask that, but I think you know what I'm trying to get at. Yep, yeah, ex yes, definitely. So um, I'm not sure how many people are aware, but Amplify is the provider of the Dibbles 8th edition assessment. Um, our version is called M-Class Dibbles 8th edition. Um, I'm sure many listeners are familiar with Dibbles, um, but for those who aren't, it's a set of measures of early literacy skills. So Dibbles measures phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, and comprehension, and it's administered at minimum three times a year for screening. And then for students who show up um, as having skills that are at risk based on screening, um, the measures can be administered more frequently. Some places go monthly, um, bi-weekly, weekly um, to do progress monitoring. So, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that, so science of reading, it sounds like uh, the Dibbles measures are completely aligned to what we know kids need to have in terms of instruction. Definitely, yes. If, if we're used to the term, um, the big ideas, we, the, the measures map onto those big critical skill areas that we know all students need to master in order to become successful readers. Um, something else that's important to note about Dibbles is, you know, the tasks themselves are really like a lot like what students do on a day-to-day -day basis as they're learning to read. So they have to segment words into sounds. They have to sound out words, read whole words, read connected text. Um, so they're administered typically in person with a teacher sitting with the student. Um, and, and listening to them engage in these early literacy tasks. And why is that important for our listeners to know that the assessment is very similar to the things that the students are doing in the classroom when they're learning? I think that's important because um, sometimes, you know, when assessments veer from what students are used to, sometimes it takes a minute to just understand, what, are, what am I being asked to do, teacher? Right. Um, <laughs> And, and that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it too is when we talk about using the data to really drive instruction, it's, it's the leap is not so big. If I just listened to my students sound out words and I heard that they were struggling with the middle vowel sound as they were sounding out, I immediately know um, what to do next. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to link the data that I'm getting from Dibbles to my next steps for instruction. That is super helpful context um, as we then talk about when Amplify looked at the, you know, what was happening in terms of this impact on student reading development across the nation. What, what do we at Amplify know about that? So what we know um, is that we do see in our data this year a higher percentage of students with scores in, in what would be the red zone or the at-risk level on Dibbles. So before I dig too much into that, just again as a reminder, if, if people aren't familiar, um, the way Dibbles works is it gives you a risk indicator for each individual student overall and then in, in all of the sub-skill areas. So students' scores are classified as at-risk or red, some risk or yellow, minimal risk or green, 
or negligible risk or blue. So it's really set up to be that early indicator, that warning sign of, is this student at risk or not? And then we can start to look at, okay, in terms of the group of students that I have in either my classroom or my school, what percentage of my students are at risk or not? So what we're seeing um, is many more students really are at risk this year um, as compared to last year. Hmm. And what about the, the, the collection? So I would imagine if we're administering the Dibbles assessment and it's an observational or a face sort of face-to-face -face assessment we do, what, what, have, what have our educators done in terms of delivering that in a remote environment? That's a really great question. And when I mentioned earlier that we at Amplify had more time to, to help um, teachers prepare for this, this school year, yeah. that was one of the things we did was think really hard about how to support teachers that will continue to collect data in person, um, but may have to follow different you know, social distancing guidelines. Um, but then also um, how to support teachers to administer um, the assessments, you know, over over the web in, in things like Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, so we did see in our data that varying ways um, that teachers have collected it. Some are still in person doing one-on-one, -on -one, um, and some are doing it via um, video. But overwhelmingly, um, our educators have felt really confident in the data that they're getting because they're doing it themselves and. and you know, they're seeing their students and able to make that connection. And Susan, it's it's amazing the dedication. I mean, I know it's not a surprise to all of us, but it's amazing. We've we've even talked to at least one district where teachers have driven to students' homes and assessed assess kids in their driveways. So wow, um, yeah, it's there's been a wide range of how how teachers have collected the data, but we have seen um, about ninety percent completion rates. So. Um, that's Just, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shout out to teachers, of course. It's been such a hard year to figure out how to make that transition. And shout out to them to, you know, f and finding the value in, in collecting this data to really understand how their kids are doing. Absolutely. So what did we learn from all of this data? So the, the headlines would be, um, like I said, we saw many more students at risk and in need of intensive intervention. Um, most notably, our data set is, is typically kindergarten through sixth grade, um, but we have the most number of, of students in our kindergarten through third grade population. Mm -hmm. um, where we've seen the biggest impact is in grades one and two. Um, in grade one specifically is where we're seeing the largest um, increase in the percentage of students needing intensive intervention. So to be more concrete, um, this year about 40% of incoming first graders scored well below um, expectations or um, in that red zone um, as compared to 27% last year. And this wow. really amounts, yeah, it, it amounts to about a 50% increase in the number of students entering first grade at risk. Wow. And that's a really critical year from kindergarten to first grade to, um, to develop sort of that automaticity in what's happening as we're learning how to read. So if kids weren't getting the instruction they needed last year, this feels like the summer loss then too is sort of compounded or, I mean, 
it, it's kind of not a surprise, right? Yeah, definitely. And and when we look at the individual skills too that um, students, you know, are assessed on in first grade, yeah. we're seeing the impact across all of them. So letter sounds, phonemic awareness, decoding, and word reading. Um, but it's most notable in phonemic awareness and letter sounds, which, like you're saying, isn't surprising. Those are the things that are typically covered in that second half of kindergarten. Um, so, yeah, yeah. it's the it's you know the results aren't shocking, um, but they are significant and important and um, something we all need to think about. Yeah, because phonemic awareness is is important to reading, correct? Oh yes, <laughs> we know that. We know that. Um, phonemic awareness is really in a lot of research dating back decades um the single largest predictor of reading difficulty and and we know it's all about prevention and early intervention and if students are at risk in first grade it has a ripple effect on their future literacy and academic achievement so we want to catch students early and and change that trajectory for them yeah and so even though it's not surprising, I'm trying to find the right word for it. We, yeah. it's, it's alarming, though. We really should yes. be paying attention to this. Yes, we absolutely should. And, and again, it's, we know it's all about prevention and early intervention. And the sooner we can get students on track, the better off we'll be. Hmm. Um, and any, anything else you want to say about that data that we saw? Um, I guess I probably should have said that there's about 400,000 students in this in this set of data um, from 1,400 schools in 41 states. So it's a it's a really large sample and it's representative um, of varying populations across the country. So um, this isn't like we just you know took took a couple of schools and, and took a look at their data. Um, we're seeing we're seeing this pattern across the nation. Wow, that's that's really amazing. And and um, when we think about what we're seeing, so we're see, just to just to sort of summarize, we are seeing in our early data set that the kids in first and second grade have been significantly impacted by this 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 loss of of instruction. Um, they hadn't had the haven't had the opportunity to really learn it, and that's alarming because we know those factors are significantly related uh, to later reading reading success. Um, but what are we hearing? Like uh, other folks saying, we're we're getting some con conflicting messages from from other reports of assessment. Is that right? Yeah, that, that is true. Um, we've been looking at reports from other assessment vendors and, and different schools, and we are hearing different things um, in different from different data sets from different assessments. Um, I think you know, it's it's important to note that the way assessments work varies. So, like we talked about earlier, you know, our data are are collected from a teacher sitting with the student. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the the protocol has changed a little bit for how the teachers work with the students, but at the core, the assessments are being administered in, in the same way, and, and the teachers really do feel confident in the data they're collecting. Um, there are other assessments that are online. Um, there's less supervision happening of students 
taking the assessments or maybe in some cases more supervision um, from parents um, who aren't trained assessors um, who, who may, you know, we don't know what that kind of support looks like at, at home. So I think, you know, the way the assessments work might be contributing um, to the differences different assessments are seeing. Um, and I think it's also important um, to note, like I said, we had 90% completion rates, yeah. um, whereas whereas other assessment uh, vendors have said that they aren't confident that they have all of the data from all of the students they would that would typically be in the data set in their data sets. So there are a lot of variables that could be impacting what we're seeing. Um, but I think it, a lot has to do with the type of assessment and, and the population of students that are being assessed. Hmm. That's interesting. So if a principal is listening or a teacher is listening at the, at the school year, it could be, oh my gosh, what in the world are we going to do? Um, and, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that we, we help people understand what this means and what this can mean for their classroom. So we have a half a year left. We can, you know, the good news is, is that we know what we can do uh, and we know how we can target that. And, and we can be doing some next steps. So how should schools be thinking about this? Yeah, I think that's that's really the heart of the issue, right? Like we have the data so far, we know there's an issue, we have the signal that we need to do something differently. Um, we've been trying some things, right, this last semester and the different um, models of, of instruction that we've been providing. So it's really a good time at the middle of the year to collect the data we would typically collect you know, really reflect on what we've been doing, see what's been working, what hasn't, and then using that data to say, okay, what really are my students' needs and where do we need to go next? Um, I think I want to just reinforce something that you said a few minutes ago, um, Susan, but loss of instruction. I think we really need to frame it that way and not think about learning loss because that sounds like a student problem, but this is this is a a system problem. This is yeah. a nobody could control this. Um, <laughs> this is a loss of instruction. So we need to just think about it that way and be proactive, and and like I said, really self reflect and collect the data um, that we need to go forward and and do what we can to support students. Yeah, I love that because I, I'm. If you've heard me talk and you have, um, I say it all the time. We can't blame the kids for this. And by saying learning loss, it makes it seem like it's the kid's fault. But I love how you framed it in a system solution um, because that's what that's that's what adults do, right? They f they figure out what what the situation is and and we put things in place to help students then achieve. Absolutely. Um, so what, so I have actually two questions. First of all, some of our listeners might be saying, well, I don't even, I don't even know if my students, I, we don't use dibbles or I don't even know if my students are missing these, you know, phonological awareness or letter sound sort of, you know, issues. What, would, what advice would you have for teachers that don't even have the data to know what to do? This is probably going to sound like I'm, I'm minimizing the challenges, but I really think we have to start with some sort of data. Yeah. And as, you know, Dibbles is just one assessment. There are other assessments out there. And I know not all teachers have access to any assessments at all. 
Um, but you know, they teachers work with their students every day. They have a sense of how they're responding to instruction. What's what they're you know how they're answering questions. Um, you know, they can get some really good anecdotal information too. And just starting there and just really taking the time uh, to take stock of what students can and can't do based on any data that you have, I think is, is a really good starting point. Yeah, and good data helps us because um, we, the thing we wanna do is we really wanna understand where students are and what they need so we don't waste time. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's I think, it's really easy to just jump right to, okay, I have this really great idea for my instruction and I have this really great program I know I can use, um, but without the data, again, the instructional experiences of students have been so different um, and so variable. I'm sure teachers can think even within their classroom, they know of some students for, you know, remote learning has been fine. They've been engaged. They seem to be responding really well. Others, not at all. Um, so we don't want to jump to those one size fits all solutions without without some sort of data to, to guide us because we know all of our students are in such variable places. Yeah, it's a great point. And and we will talk a little bit about the instructional response. Um, and I'll and I'll ask you about that as it relates to now. But talk to me a little bit about the importance of grade level instruction. What should we be looking at in grade level instruction right now? Yeah, that's a really good point, Susan. I, I've had some conversations and, and have read some things online where, um, you know, teachers and schools and systems are starting to focus on intervention, intervention, intervention. And again, we know plenty of students are going to need intervention, but the worry would be if we just focus on intervention and closing the gaps from the instructional loss, we're going to miss out on, on giving that grade level instruction and set students to be further and further behind. Yeah. So it's, it's, I'm sure users or listeners that is, uh, might, might be saying, yes, this all sounds easy and we can talk about it. Um, but it's, but it really is going back to those principles of, of response to intervention and multi-tiered systems of support. Um, and really thinking about what are all of those tiers and how can I set up my data systems and my instructional systems to align together and figure out who needs what and when, um, but without sacrificing that good, solid core classroom instruction for all. Yeah, and I'm not an expert in multi-tier systems of support, but I think I have this right in that we should always be delivering grade-level core instruction, and if there's intervention that needs to be done, that should be additional time on top of that. Is that right? Yes, that's typically the, the recommendation. Um, so again, so all students you know, aren't, aren't missing out on what is really critical um, for their current grade level. Yeah, and I will say that same thing that you said too. The caveat of that is this: we're not suggesting that this is a simple or an easy no. solution. <laughs> no, um, and it's also not a typical intervention moment either. It's something we're experiencing something very different than anything we've ever had in terms of you know the support that we have to provide students. Absolutely. So, what then is that best instructional response? Yeah, this is probably going to be another place where we say something that's probably sounds overly simplified. Right. Um, but I think, you know, really leaning on what we know from the science of reading 
we know how students learn to read. We know the critical skills. We know the order and the scope and sequence is so important. We know about direct and explicit instruction. Um, it's just now students are going to be at different places on that, that typical trajectory than they, they usually are at this point in the year. Um, so I think we need to really lean on, like we've been saying, the data that we can collect and then the science of reading and what we know about how students learn to read and how we can provide effective uh, reading instruction. Yeah. So um, the, just just sort of the going back to the this is not unexpected, but it's really alarming. Um, the alarm then should bring us back to those principles that, well, we talk about them all the time, the simple view of reading, mm -hmm. um, which isn't necessarily simple, um, but it's a framework that you can understand as, you know, simply defined so that you can keep going back to it and going back to it and going right. back to it. Exactly, exactly. That just thinking about what are the, the key skills and um, how are they related and how do we provide that that instruction? I think I think we know the what. I think what's the most challenging right now is the how. Because we can all collect the data and, and make these great plans. And then we come to, okay, I know that these these five students need this and these five students need this, but okay, how am I going to get this to them um, effectively and in a way that will engage them? Um, so I think that's where where we can continue to learn and work with each other and and come up with those those innovative ideas of how to deliver instruction. I've had some conversations with um, teachers and just talking about what their instruction looks like in a hybrid or a completely remote context. And, and they've been really creative. In fact, I, I've talked to a couple of teachers that said they actually felt like they had more opportunities to differentiate in this remote setting because they could group students and have these small groups and be really targeted with those small groups um, virtually without kind of the, the rest of the classroom um, there who, who needs a bunch of other things, um, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it's, I think it's hard, but I think there are, teachers are, are creative and, and figuring out solutions. Yeah. And it's, there's a lot of unknown still between now and the end of the school year. Like how many people are going to have to continue to do those Zoom sessions? Mm -hmm. Are people going to be back in face to face? And it just dawned on me that, you know, once they, if they are back in the classroom, there's a lot of management and procedural things that will need to be put in place at a time of year. You don't normally do that. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, it's the, like we've been saying, getting back to the data and reflecting and, and thinking about what we've done so far, what's worked, um, what are some some new things that we could try and and having the time to get, get those things in place um, to support our students. Again, all easier said than done, I know. <laughs> For sure. Um, so when it comes to, you know, amplify and looking at the student performance are there like what kind of additional questions are are we really looking at at amplify as it relates to that yeah so i think at the most basic level um you know we the data we've looked at so far were from the beginning of this school year um, and right now and into next year our partner districts are actively collecting their data for the middle of the year mm. um, so it'll be really important for us 
to take a look at our data again in the middle of the year and really, again, reflect on this first half of the year, um, work with our partners to understand what's what they've done, what's worked, what hasn't, um, what models of instructional delivery they've implemented, and, and what impacts have they seen. Um, again, like you said, recognizing that's been variable even within each school and, and will continue to, to vary across the school year. Um, but we at Amplify also have um, really great research partners um, you know, at, at different universities who are really interested in diving into this question. So we're, we're continuing to partner with them and do really in-depth analysis of, of the different models of instruction being implemented and how they're impacting student growth and learning. Um, so those are some of the things that we're continuing to do at Amplify. Um, we talk to our teachers all the time, like I said, to just get that feedback on what's working. How can we support? Um, what can we help? How can we help um, with next steps for them? But we want to have that solid understanding of our larger database so that we can really understand what needs to happen next and provide um, database recommendations. So sounds like there's a lot more to come on that. Yeah, definitely. We'll have you back. Oh. <laughs> What about what about beyond reading? What else? Yeah, I think that's so critical. I mean, we all know reading is one thing, um, but we're also hearing about the impacts and challenges students and teachers are experiencing as it relates to um, social social and emotional um, health and well-being. So I think there's a lot more to learn about there, um, and we've we've been trying to get that information, but also recognizing that all students are are in a really tough place. So building in a lot of that social emotional support into some of our programs as well. Um, but on that note too, you know, we know reading is, is sort of the foundation for a lot of these things and, and really getting students to feel successful as readers is going to have a, a ripple effect on their social and emotional outcomes too. It isn't everything, but I think yeah. if we can, we can really get, students to feel engaged and successful as readers, it will go a long way. Mm, such a good point. Um, and, and as we sort of wrap up then, what kind of advice would you have for our listeners um, in terms of next steps or things that, that you talked about today? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the real practical, it's, it's like we said, collect your data. Um, if you have formal assessments that you use in your district, make sure the data are, are giving you what you need to really drive your instructional next steps for your classroom and for your individual students. Um, put that data in the context of what you've tried this year. You know, really think about what has worked already for you. Um, think about what the science reading of reading would say you need to do next and where students are in terms of their literacy uh, trajectory. And then think about you know, okay, I've got my plan. How am I going to do this in this virtual or hybrid or socially distanced um, in-person world? Um, and again, I know that sounds simple and easy, um, but I think to, to help with that, sharing information with each other is really critical at this time. Um, I think looking to your partner vendors and seeing what supports they have available, um, they we work with districts across the country. We see lots of different examples of things. You know, we want to be here to help. Um, so I think that's really, really a useful thing to do. 
Um, but I also, and, and then in the spirit of not oversimplifying, I think also just, you know, thinking about, you know, don't put too much pressure, you know, do the things we know, use the data yeah. systems we have. Um, but we, we all recognize this is unprecedented. Um, so we all have to work together and support each other. That's a really good point. And for our listeners out there that may not be aware of the science of reading principles, what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll link them to our literacy hub, which will give them some information that they can, they can go to dig in a little bit more. But Danielle, we just appreciate you being on here. Thanks so much for the great conversation. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Susan. And, and I, yeah, look forward to continuing to work with you and with the rest of our team at Amplify and with our partner districts to, to support teachers and students in this, like we said, unprecedented time. Thanks for listening and keep your feedback coming. Want to learn more? Be sure to stay connected by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and join our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading, the community. And visit Amplify.com to check out all our free literacy events and webinars. Until next time, keep the hope, take action, and stay in touch.